Welcome back, Red Spotters, to another edition of the Red Spotlight Entertainment Podcast. I'm your host today, Alexis J. Soto, and I am joined by the bitch himself, Mr. Kyle Lira, is back. I changed my name. People Ah. People don't tune into this podcast to listen to Kyle Lira. They pay to listen to Elton John. <laughs> they don't pay to listen to this podcast. I mean, they might even pay not to listen to this podcast. Um, Kyle kind of give it away there. We are here with another movie review show, and that is for the Elton John biopic musical slash biopic film Rocket Man, which is in theaters right now. Kyle saw it a few days ago, and I actually saw it, uh, I believe, the past weekend. Um, and so we are finally here. I gave a taste of what my thoughts of this movie uh, were with Peter in the last podcast. Um, one thing, and this is, oh, God, I think he mentioned this. And you know what? It's been on my mind. And I'm sorry. This entire podcast is going to stop right now because I need to rant. Because um, I... I can't believe what he said. And he's like, I guess this is how Peter is. But do you remember when we did the top 10 show and he talked about A Star is Born? I'm not sure if he first mentioned it there, but we talked about it because uh, uh, A Star is Born came up in the, in the conversation we had last podcast. Uh-huh. And he said how he literally fast forwarded through all of the musical performances oh, in A Star hates, is Born. I, I don't think he likes music. <laughs> and I think... And I got reminded of that, um, and I felt like I wanted to stab his eyes out because I'm like, how could you skip forward through the music of A Star Is Born? Those I feel like ca- it matters so much. Okay, like for a biopic, you know, I would understand because, like, you've heard the music before. Um, yes. But with The Star Is Born, I don't understand because, like, the music numbers are, like, central uh, to, the story. to the story. There were new songs. There were original songs that were written by Lady Gaga and others, and they serve there to move the story along. I think we've said it many, many times, as we will say it in this review on this show, that mostly everybody on this network prefers the kinds of films that use the songs if you're going to be a musical or a music-oriented biopic. What we prefer infinitely more than the alternative is to use your songs to move the story along and mm-hmm. be part of the movie, not just because if, if you're just watching a music video, which some a lot of movies have and we'll name them here, it's not nearly as interesting. So that'll serve as a, a little tease for the review of the movie. Um, and it kind of really infuriates me because like, you know, a star is born, love the film didn't make my top 10, love it, but I love the music. And, and it's like, I don't understand. You can just like, you know, ignore it and not include it as, as part of your viewing experience, you know? I, it, I mean, there's like so many good songs in that. I mean, uh, by the way, that's, that's good. Uh, obviously, Shallow, the song that she played at the end. Is heartbreaking and heart wrenching and everything like that. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. We don't need, we don't need to relitigate it. It's just like it's one of those things that. Ooh. Ugh. Also, I, drastic. I, just, I don't understand. Also, in the confines of uh, of uh, what's it called? 
with A Star is Born, the stark contrast of music styles also plays a key part of uh, where characters are in the in the story. So like, mm-hmm. there's just a bunch of different things with that as well. And a lot of that's going to play into this review. So let's go ahead uh, and move on to, you know, what this episode is about. But again, before I like to get in, jumping into the review of the film, I want to give people a sense and a taste about like where we come from. And then also when it comes to films like this movie in Rocket Man, when it deals with a subject matter that is beyond just going into an original narrative that deals with a known artist, an international and you know legendary artist as Elton John. Mm-hmm. It also helps to give people a taste of uh, your history with not only, uh, you know, in terms of your history with him and his music uh, and how that played into the excitement for this movie. So before we even get into the movie, Kyle, can you like, give us a, a rundown of like, your earliest memories of Elton John's music and how it's in, it's made an impact on you. Um, I came from a very musically blessed uh, household with my mom and my stepdad. Um, <laughs> I shake my head. People aren't looking at. It. I shake my head a little bit because it's like, okay, this is. I mean, we have to remember Kyle's a little, a little bit of a musical elitist here, so that's why when he says like blessed, musically blessed, that's why that fits like into the. I was surrounded so, by. Just, good music all the time like patsy klein journey uh frank sinatra elvis uh metallica you know the big four of metal like george Strait, george Strait, uh a little bit of martina mcbride a little bit of uh oh shania twain fuck yeah. queen queen i you know it's just like you know the, the beatles the beatles uh the rolling stones uh, david bowie like all these all these you know prolific uh uh, artists, you know, um, and when I was on my crew, when I, my mom, because I had like a heavy ADHD head, I still do. Um, and in order to get me to sleep, my mom would pack me into the car and we would go for a cruise until I would tuck her out. And one of my earliest, uh, uh, like audio memories is hearing a song called I guess that's why they call it the blues by Bell, uh, by Ellen John. I remember that that's song. I remember mm-hmm. that song vividly or audio I, whatever the <laughs> whatever the uh the audio equivalent is of uh of vividly is. Um, the point is you recall that moment. I re- I recall listening to that song in the car on our long trips to Bakersfield to go gris- visit my grandmother. Um like I just remember, you know, listening to these songs since uh I was still shitting myself. Uh, <laughs> um so I, I remember normally people would say since they were in diapers. Um, oh, well, so so passe. Um, anyway, uh, I, I remember that. And I remember watching a little movie called The Lion King, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And there was a song that played at the end credits called. Uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight by Elton John. I'm like, oh, this is a this is a good song. It was my karaoke staple as a Filipino for years. Uh, <laughs> um, that would be my go to song. Um, and uh, I, I never put two and two together that I guess that's why they call it the blues 
uh, and uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight was sung by the same person for some reason. That happens a lot. Um, so yeah. I was like, wait, that that's insane. And then uh, since uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, I delve into um, a little later into my life. I delve into Elton's music. Like I, I listened to like Goodbye Yellowbrick Road. That that album is solid, and I I remember listening to that in high school. Um, uh, Tiny Dancer. That's a great song. Um, the the Rocket Man is obviously you know an anthem at this point. Uh, so I I remember all these things. I remember when rock was young, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> crocodile rock you know so i i I always loved elton's work like he has like this huge profound kind of kind of resume in terms of like where he is musically and what he's what he's done and like the way that his music sounds i mean they're all fucking goddamn bops i mean the bitch is back saturday night's all right for fighting there's just a bunch of songs that is like illustrious and I remember them all very vividly, very tied to, uh, my mother, uh, believe it or not. Um, so I, I, is she a big Elton fan? I assume she, yeah, she had, uh, I remember stealing my mom's, uh, my mom's uh, greatest hits, uh, thing. And that had everything from the beginning of his career to, I think 2002 and had all the greatest hits until then. Um, which is like a lot, it like three CDs packed of hits, um, which is like insane. Uh, and I, I would listen to that and that would be like my jam. I, I remember listening to all that stuff. Uh, your song, uh, uh, that's a very intimate song for reasons I will not get into, but, uh, it is, it is, uh, it's a, it's a song. Um, it's just, there's a lot of stuff that that surrounds Elton John that I'm very personally connected with. That's why like when like I I like Queen. I like Queen and all that stuff and Queen has some good hits and and uh and good shakes and whatnot. But when it comes to Elton, that's where like it really struck a chord with it and I really like that they dealt with something different when it came to the cinematic aspect of Elton. Let me ask you this. Okay, so, and just to make sure we're not misinterpreting here, because you seem to have insinuated something in that last comment there. And let, let me just be clear. Are, are you saying that are you saying that Elton's body of work, musically speaking, is better than Queen's, or do you prefer it to Queen's? I, what are you saying? I'm saying that exactly? I have a more personal connection to Elton's body of work. Okay. Which music do you like better? Because you ask anybody, I think most people, and you clearly would see it with the box office before, uh, numbers, which we'll talk about later on. But pe- people know Queen, and people know Queen's biggest hits all over the yeah. world. I think to a certain extent, the same can be said about Elton John, but maybe not to that level. Technically, it might be Queen, but on a personal level, it's Elton. I can't tell you how much I agree with that statement. and I And here I thought... And here I thought I was the one that had a hot take in the last podcast. <coughs> from because a technical, oh, don't get me wrong. From yeah. a technical aspect, Queen is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Bohemian Rock Rhapsody is one of the greatest rock songs ever produced. One of the ever. Beta, one of the greatest compositions. You mean in general? Ev- yeah, I mean it's uh, you know when you think of like top ten greatest songs of all time. 
You know, you think of like something Beethoven, something Bach, something uh, Los Treti, you know, and then something Queen. Uh, and it's most likely Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, I mean, like, ju- just like the way that Freddie and the way they toyed with sound and everything like that. Plus, when you hear the guitar, you know that it's a Queen song. So there's just a bunch of that. Um, so, what, do you have anything else to say on that? But or? to me personally, I just, I, I, I love, I love Elton. Why do you like Elton? Like, why, why are you on the same boat? Well, because I, well, I'm gonna, here's where I get into my history with Elton John, um, and it's a very different thing uh, than yours because I don't have as lengthy of a history or, um, as you do with Elton John. But the very first thing I wanted to say is like the last podcast I did with Peter, and I said that my hot take was I think Elton's music, to me anyway, is better than Queen's. And I think, and as we will, as I will say, when it comes to the later on in the review of this movie, you kind of see why, and. We should mention, obviously, Bernie Taupin, who is like the, the lyricist, uh, mm-hmm. and like John, Elton John's like, you know, musical partner for all of these years. For most of, all, most of the hits that he's had, he has been there from day one. Elton, you know, writes the musical compositions and then Bernie is the one that, you know, brings it to life with the lyrics and everything. Mm-hmm. Just to be clear about that. And we'll talk about that in the review. But there was just something about Elton's music, uh, when I was first hearing it, um, that felt so personal to to him in a way, you know. I like you, and maybe maybe not so much like you, but maybe like most people. My first like introduction to Elton John would be with the Lion King and the music that he composed there, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, the hits like "Can You Feel the Love Tonight." He wrote "I Just Can't Wait to Be King," and then of course "Circle of Circle Life," of which Life. is like, explosive, like. What a mm-hmm. fucking way to open your film, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember, uh, I think it was a few years ago, it may have been for some kind of a 60th uh, celebration for Disneyland, or it may have been, there was something happening at Disneyland. He was singing the song in front of Sleeping Beauty Castle. It was Circle, uh, of, Circle Life. of Life. Yeah. Yeah. And something about that performance struck me because there were, like, as people as fans of Elton John would know that when he performs the song in his concerts, he does his take on the song. Like there's two different versions of the song. There's the one that you see in the movie that most people know the lyrics to heart. And then there are other lyrics that he uses for his performances. And that was the first time that I had heard circle of life being sung that way with these different lyrics. Yes. Yes. I did not. I didn't really know about that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm like, wow, interesting. Okay. Um, and Elton John as a personality, as a diva, as a queen is just like one of the most entertaining people to watch, uh, on anything, doing interviews or performances. Fucking, uh, Uh, carpool karaoke with James Corden. That, that, I think that was, that is my single favorite, um, carpool karaoke. And you know what happened? What I loved it so much. And you know, I, I, at that point, the Elton Johns, the, the Elton Johns, the Elton John songs. That's a that different I had, artist. No. <laughs> <laughs> the Elton John songs that I had known at that point, um, were your song and Benny of the Jets. And I actually have some really weird memories as I usually do with those songs. So another early memory of Elton John. Again, remember how in Family Guy, my first memory of Fred Rogers was him being, you know, assassinated. Oh, fuck um, off. 
fuck <laughs> off. God damn it. Now, this wasn't Family Guy. This was Futurama. And Futurama, and I think you and I saw this episode together. This was the episode where they were into, like, a different planet, and it was basically Egypt, and they were enslaved and everything. And and Bender Death, became the pharaoh. Death by Snoo Snoo? No, no, that's no, no that, was, that was a different one. No, this, this is an episode where Bender became a pharaoh of an Egyptian-like planet. Okay, and Fry and Lilo were slaves. This was an, one of the older, one of my favorite episodes. But this is like back in '99 or 2000. When I was first watching the series, and there, in, in the episode, there is basically this character that is like you know dressed all fancy and playing piano because like the pharaoh that had just died was being you know put in his sarcophagus and everything and they were you know putting in all of the things and what was so humorous about that is i was so clearly i didn't know it then but now knowing it clearly There's an elton john reference of uh elton yes john. and like the, the the character is like playing something like honky cat i think maybe something like that he was playing and one of the servants just literally you have the the caricature on this piano and one of the uh one of the slaves literally pushes the piano with the Elton John caricature down a huge hole and and then and then sealing sealing the sarcophagus shut. <laughs> so that was weird, right? Like one of the like a early memory of like, you know, associating Elton John. So the bitch was but, not back. No, obviously not. <laughs> and then and then later on, and one of the one of the the songs that I hold, you know, closest to my heart, not just with Elton John, but in general, is your song. It's still like one of the best songs ever written, in my view. Ah, uh, takes these me years back. Later. <laughs> right, right. My, but you know what? My earliest memory of that song was, and you know what? That and Benny and the Jets. My, I think uh, that was the year American Idol had an Elton John night. And a lot of the contestants were doing Elton John songs like Benny and the Jets and your song. What, okay, when was that episode? Oh, that was season 11, dude. This was like three, two years after Simon left. So like Simon had just left. You might have seen I it. Think I, I think I saw that episode. That was the year where, uh, well, actually, you know what? I think it was the year after Simon. This was uh, uh, the year Scotty McCreary, the country music artist, won. Yeah. So the last time I watched American Idol religiously was with mm-hmm. the original three. Well, that was before the voice. That was before the voice even happened. Um, so that this was obviously a while ago at this point. But you know that those are like my earliest introductions to like Elton John's music. And mm-hmm. at, before I had like seen the Carpool Karaoke, I've known of Benny and the Jets, um, your song, um, Rocket Man. You know the songs that most people know. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Um, my first time actually hearing Goodbye Yellow Brick Road was in American Hustle, I think. Really? Uh, when we saw, the, yeah, yeah. Okay. When we saw that movie back in 2013. Was that the first time you listened to Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney as well? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I think, no, no, no. That one, I've or, heard it. You know, you that, know what it was? was that Shrek 3? It was Shrek the th- <laughs> Fucking shit. God damn it. Okay. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm not as musically oriented as as you are. Like my first time listening to like um Fuck the Police uh was or, or even I hadn't even heard of NWA until like straight out of Compton. Yeah. Literally. So it's like is this really a surprise for me? I'm sorry. Okay. I, one one takeaway from all of these uh <laughs> uh biopics that come out is you got to appreciate that it introduces the music to a whole new different crowd. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's a good thing. 
So those are like what I've known Elton for primarily. And then when I saw the carpool karaoke, I think for the first time I saw that episode with James Corden and Elton John, uh, maybe toward the very beginning of the year, maybe toward the end of of last year. But you know what? I was like, I knew Rocket Man was going to come out and I wanted to know more of his like discography and like his music and everything. So I looked up his most recent greatest hits album, which was like, it was the diamonds, the diamonds, the diamonds one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which he Did I just recently call it an episode? Released. No, fucking album, Kyle. Good. Yeah, that Diamonds album. And I listened to it, and it was like, I've been listening to that entire Greatest Hits album since January, kind of like nonstop. And since then, I've just like been singing like Elton John songs every day. And I don't know what it was, but like there was just something so authentic and real and genuine and endearing about the songs that he would sing. And just like you, like some of my favorite stuff are like, um, um, I guess that's why they call it the blues, uh, bring on those sad songs. Um, and then when I think of like all the songs, like a tiny dancer, rocket man, Philadelphia freedom. Now, um, obviously Benny and the Jets and Honky Cat, Pinball Wizard, Take Me to the Pilot. I'm still, well, yeah, well, I'm still standing. It's actually one of the ones I didn't know beforehand. Cause like, who, that, that's like one of the big, big songs of Elton John's yeah. career is I'm still standing. But you know, one, um, that I really love, um, and I'm not even sure, uh, how big of a hit it is in terms of like Elton's career, but Little Genie is like one of like, one of it, like that was just like so beautiful to me. Mm-hmm. But then also, don't let the sun go down, down on, on me. That's a good one. Beautiful, beautiful, oh, beautiful. Don't stuff. go breaking my heart. That's a yes. great one. Yeah, I well. wasn't. I actually, again, so many of these songs. I, I, the first time I heard them were for someplace else. I, it was Glee. I, the first time I saw that. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. I, okay. Glee. Funny enough. Funny enough. Okay, I heard. Uh, I heard that song from a movie called Chicken Little. and i'm like this song this song sounds so familiar where have i heard it before and from the vague crevices of my mind which is like it's it's pretty much the ninth wonder of the world because like it's so like bizarre and so strange uh Mm -hmm. One of the one of the uh, in the back of my memory, I remember hearing uh, that song. But then I see uh, Amy Sedaris and <laughs> Steve. I what is it? Steve Vaughn or something like that? I think so. Uh, singing <laughs> the song in Chicken Little. <laughs> wow! Uh, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, what is that song from? And then I look, I I I ask, what song is this? Mom, uh, don't go breaking my, don't go breaking my. Oh, she's like, oh, that's uh, Elton John and uh, and Kiki mm-hmm. D. And I'm like, it's an Elton song, of course, of course. Um, but anyway, go on. And maybe it was because like some so much of his music I had heard through other sources previously, but I genuinely love his music. Like he, like for me, and um, this may be, ooh, controversial. Um, again, I, I enjoy rock music, not as much as you do. I think we've, we've established that. 
up until a few days, oh, not a few days, but up until maybe a few months ago, you would ask me what were like my favorite like rock act or you know uh, artists in rock music that were like my favorite. I would have said the Beatles. I would say now it's Elton John. Um, I really would. And one other thing that and and uh, tell me if you if you heard this too a little bit, especially in his earlier music. I'm not going to go so far as to say there was a country twang, but there was certainly some kind of an influence in there from a little bit of like country from those days. Well, in terms of like the storytelling. Well, at the time, uh, you gotta, you gotta put in perspective, like, uh, acts came, like a lot of the music acts came straight out of, uh, whiskey, a go, go and, uh, and, uh, the troubadour, which you saw in the movie, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of music acts came out of there and like, there was like this kind of, kind of country resurgence kind of thing that was going on in the seventies. Um, and that would trickle down to like the greats, like Garth Brooks and George Strait, who had a, who had a background in like, uh, performing at these places and, and stuff like that. Um, but like there was, there was like this, uh, this, uh, integration of like country music that was taking the world by a storm. So obviously kind of see where, uh, where the country influences. I mean, uh, honky cat is very much like classical country. Yeah. You know, the, I definitely heard that. I mean, they have a lyric in there that says redneck. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's just like so much stuff in there. Um, and I think, uh, and you, it, it was pretty much like a, like a staple, you know, like, oh, this is like, this is going to be the new fad. And I think Outland di- dipped his pool, uh, toes in the pool when country was the thing. And that's why you mm-hmm. kind of, kind of hear it. Um, very, I wouldn't even say kind of country, his style. It's very, uh, what's that? What's that? Like. Like, it's like very jingly, very jingly, like very Western. Like, you know how you go into like a bluegrass? You mean bluegrass or what are you talking about? Bluegrass. There's a specific, there's a specific country pop. No, I I don't know what, but I don't know what I don't know what I'm looking for either. Um, I know what I'm looking for, but anyway, uh, there was this, uh, there was this genre, like, you know, when you go into the golden horseshoe. In a Disneyland, mm-hmm. you know that music yeah. that's playing in the background. You mean Western? What that's not Western. West- there's a specific name for it, but I don't know. Um, but there's kind of that going on in some of his early stuff. B- mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah. So yeah. So really, <coughs> that I think in and of itself. Uh, Listening to the stories that both Kyle and I have, you can very obviously tell we're keen fans of Elton and we were definitely going to see this film. But also, um, somebody else we like in this movie, and that is Taron Edgerton. Yeah. Um, who, um, did you ever see Eddie the Eagle? No. After seeing this movie, I want to. Cause Dexter Fletcher also directed, uh, Eddie the Eagle with Taron Edgerton. How was that? I didn't see it. Oh, I am asking if you. That's why I asked if you saw it. Oh no, I, oh, um, I've only I, seen the the Kingsman and half of half of Sing. 
which I could not. Which get. is interesting, right? Because like, was well, so like the first time that Al- Alton John, by the way, Alton John and like Taron like were friends before the movie Sing had come into theaters. But what's interesting about that situation is that um, that was the first time Alton John had heard Taron sing one of his songs. Because on that soundtrack, he does sing "I'm, I'm still, still standing. standing." Yeah. So it's um, it's very interesting how like splattered throughout his career you could see like kind of like the stepping stones that led him to play elton john right like in in the golden circle when elton john literally had a role <laughs> in that movie he's like honey, Kings in the golden honey circle. i'll give you a backstage pass <laughs> so yeah it, it's it i i just find it like it's a really great story but also just interesting how it's like it was all leading to this and and henceforth why we have um uh this movie and now we can go ahead and start talking about this movie i will say after like a half hour (laughs) like an hour but i think it's important people know about you know how we felt about all this Mm -hmm. what was so interesting about the trailers for rocket man was just how different of a biopic it was in its approach and i'm very happy to report that it didn't disappoint in that department Mm -hmm. in that in that characteristic that set it apart from others like Bohemian Rhapsody, which I'm sorry will be brought up several times in this review because we just can't help but compare, especially since Dexter Fletcher was also on that, you know, originally, then fired in favor of Brian Singer. Then when they fired Brian Singer, then they asked Dexter Fletcher to come back and fix the movie. So it was just, a, it's a whole thing. So there are natural connections, obviously, Queen and Elton John and like how they approached it. But what was so interesting about Rocket there's room Man, for only one hysterical queen. No, apparently not. Um, and that wouldn't be him. Sorry. Um, um, and the thing about, yeah, right. <coughs> and the thing about, uh, what they had promised in those trailers is that they were going to very much lean in to the musical, um, part of a biopic in terms of like, you know, uh, treating this movie less of a biopic, even though very much still is that, but more like a musical and what i mean by that is well there are musical song and dance numbers in here as you would expect to come when you go i guess see a ladder or whatever and stuff like exactly exactly and i can't tell you how much this movie needed that like it needed it needed to have that component you know to really i think make it I, uh, the picture that it is. And I think my general impressions of this movie is that I loved it. I loved it because I, when I look at it from a narrative perspective, from a character perspective, I really did think that they did Elton John's life justice. Obviously, Elton John is an executive producer on this movie. We've talked about how sometimes that may not be the best outcome for a biopic. Look at what happened with Queen and maybe how they weren't so happy about, you know, getting into some details that may, that may make them not look as good. Um, this is a rated R rating. Uh-huh. It's not catering to any kind of like family oriented audience and it's not holding anything back. It is giving you Alton John's life in a raw, Rough edges authentic and all. manner. Absolutely. Warts and all, as he would say, probably. And it is a powerful statement. And I walk, I walked away from this loving the man so much more 
than I had previously, which, by the way, I think is kind of the point of these movies, which is also not what I felt with Bohemian Rhapsody, which we'll talk about later on. But overall, I think this is a great time. If you're a fan of Elton's music, um, and if you're a fan of these kind of biopics, don't let the musical stuff scare you, because I will say this so many times, that enhanced the experience of this film. They use the songs from Alton's life, the songs that we just spent an hour talking about, mm-hmm. to flow, to push the story forward in a way that is kind of eerie how it was talking about some, well, not intentionally, but a lot of the lyrics were a little bit, you know, tweaked. But in a sense, it does push the story and it does push Alton's journey in this movie forward like, and for example like in the in the song rocket man instead of i miss the earth so much i miss my wife he said mm, i miss my life i miss my life yeah 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 and and this is actually a more overt example which we'll talk about later on but um that's kind of like my initial thoughts of it of rocket man kyle tell me what you thought of it and then also tell me what your sister sophia thought because you know you two experienced bohemian rhapsody together and you both enjoyed that very much so tell me about that whole thing okay so my sister uh saw it with her friends (laughs) um which like shocked me because it's like a rated r film and all that stuff how old is your sister 13 how did they get in? Uh, I think I think my dad paid paid to have them go in and all that stuff. I, I your dad didn't care. I I don't I don't think so. Which is like shocking because my dad is overtly conservative. Um, that that's why I was like, what? That's why I was like, holy shit! Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she saw it. She loved it. She loved it. Um, mm-hmm. However, uh, because she has a more personal connection with Queen. Uh, mm-hmm. She loved Bohemian Rhapsody more, mm. um, but she loved it all the same. She loved it all the same. Yeah. She it was she saw it. She said it was a it was a good movie and all that stuff. Um, I, on the other hand, have a deeper connection with Elton than I do with Queen, so it was completely the flip opposite. Um, mm-hmm. And not only that, but I really love the musical. Uh, the traditional hollywood musical uh aspect of this of this film like i i would go to like something like singing in the rain or something like that in the in this movie like in terms of like the way that it presented its musical numbers which was, and it's very fantastical yeah. like for example when you hear crocodile rock for the first yeah. time everybody is just like lifted off the ground i remember yeah. when rock was young and it would like lead into that and it's beautiful um and then i i like the one number that i could like point out to you which is like ultimately like ultimate classical movie musical is the saturday night's all right for fighting sequence yeah and that was like it started off in like a bar and all that stuff and then it led itself into uh into the into the fair i guess or the carnival whatever you want to want to whatever you want to call it um but the way that it was integrated with that and the transition like from like youth to like i guess early 20s or something like that um you it was a nice little transition um instead of puberty bridge from the lion king it's puberty it's puberty fence <laughs> um okay 
but I, I, I like the transition of that. It, it's just like there's a bunch of different things. Uh, Richard Madden. Fuck me. God damn. The menacing villain. Uh, he could play intimidating. He could play this kind of like, like dick wide. Uh, and I really, I really enjoyed that. Bryce Dallas Howard's performance. My God, what a bitch. <laughs> um, uh, and then the dad, like, it was so funny. Like, the dad and, uh, and the mom in the movie were, like, trying to out dick each other. <laughs> like, it. Well, well, I mean, funny maybe from, uh, from a sideline perspective. perspective, but from Elton. But, no, it wasn't funny for him. No. In fact, it was very heartbreaking, which I, so one of the things about this movie is it can be kind of gutting at times how horrible his life was growing up. Yeah, because he had like no love other than his grandma, but that was it. Yeah, um, yeah. In the beginning, it's like freaking uh, uh, biopic ground zero. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it's just one of those things. And like nobody, like he, he was like his dad never gave him any sort of affection or whatever. Any inkling that he even likes his son. Right, right. Well, we'll say that for the spoilers because I want to get into that. Um, wrap up like your general impressions. What did you make of Taron Edgerton's performance? Ter- I could name a bunch of biopics uh, that I could see an actor completely immerse into a role. Uh, Walt, uh, Tom Hanks as Walt Disney. Uh, mm. I... Uh, Kristen Stewart as a uh, Joan Jett. Um, I, uh, uh, Jamie Foxx as Ray. Don't forget Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash. Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash. But for here, Taron Edgerton is Elton John. Like there's no way around it. He is the embodiment of what Elton John was earlier in his career. And the way that he, the, the gusto of it all was was just wonderful and beautiful he uh, uh the way that he uh showed this tragic figure while also having some unlikable uh characteristics as well um that it just blended all well and that you could clear clearly see like the warts and all uh that Elton allowed to be put through the film um which i think amplified this film to an umpteenth degree uh the music is great the cinematography i like the way that is stylistically shot a lot of things um costumes are wonderful um, uh i like that the acting all around great cast um i, I just think that this is easily like if somebody were to go like What's a good biopic or something like that? I would be like, oh, Rocket Man, Rocket Man, obviously, Rocket Man is mm-hmm. is, uh, is, a, is a is a wonder. I think I think it's a yeah. I think it's great. I I, I really can't help but let just echo practically all of what you had just said. What an amazing cast because it's not like they're just doing this one thing. I agree with you. Uh, the performances by Richard Madden and um, and Bryce Dallas Howard, Jamie are- Bell. Oh, yes, Jamie Bell. Forget about Jamie Bell as Bernie Topton. He was great. 
Um, again, a stellar cast all throughout this film, and there are moments where they all sing, which also I think leads into like the musical oriental, uh, the musical orientation uh, of this movie. Um, and yes, agree a hundred thousand times. Taryn Edgerton is Taryn Edgerton is so much Alton John. At a certain point, and I was just thinking to myself when you were describing it right now, if I could see anybody else fit in as naturally as he did into this role, because it, it does help to mention they were friends before mm-hmm. um, he did this, which helps, you know, infinitely. And it, it's also uncommon for a person in these days, I feel maybe in, in the biopic, the biopics that I've seen, it's uncommon for the star that embodies uh, the star. I mean, the star to embody the the character. The only time I can recall that, that is when uh, uh, during the Runaways with Kristen Stewart. With Kristen Stewart, because she she talked and you know she became friends with uh with Joan Jett in the process of like trying to find out who she was and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I think that really helped out. It it, it kind of helps uh with knowing the person is alive. Um. Yes, <laughs> and tracking him down and all that stuff. Um, but uh, Tom Hanks got the got uh, the personification of Walt Disney. I think I think wonderfully without getting to know Walt in that personal regard. But yeah, um, you can say the same thing about Emma Thompson as uh, yeah. Travers. Um, like. They were looking at like, like I was like doing some research about this movie. They were looking at like Justin Timberlake to play uh, Elton John, and just like, well, this movie's been in the works for a bit, you know. Yeah. It's they've thought of several people, I uh, just like Bohemian Rhapsody was in the works for a very long time. Yeah, with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen as a as a Freddie Mercury. But anyway, uh, yeah, I. <sighs> This movie is just great. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't express it enough. Go fucking see it. This is like, and also like get yourself a movie with the, with a good sound system too, because like the music yeah. and everything like that is just like it's pumping. Okay. So right now we're going to go ahead and get into a little bit of the spoilers, uh, which I mean, it's a biopic. It's Elton John's life. I'm not really sure how much we can give away except for like, you know, the particulars of the movie. But anyway, this is how I want to discuss it and what I want to say about Rocket Man. And like you had said earlier on or a few minutes ago, Kyle, that the first moments of the movie or the first, you know, few minutes of the movie are like biopic ground zero is like how you usually start these things. Well, I think for me, um, and what I think this did better than a lot of biopics, uh, the ones that try anyway, um, is it really grounded, um, Elton's childhood and how heartbreaking it was. Not in a way where, which is what I expected. I expected that part of the movie to be skipped over almost like immediately. And yet there were more sequences that I thought with young Elton. There were like two actors that they had um, before we got to Taron Edgerton that were playing young Elton. And they both also sang. Yeah. So I, I was surprised because usually in a biopic, we would just like, oh, here's – we would like skip that in like – 
a minute, two minute, three minutes tops. Like he's a kid. And we, yeah. Okay, back to back to sex, yeah. drugs, and rock and roll kind of. No, thing. but we we take our time with this, and and the point here is to show not only to show you know kind of like the brilliance that he had from an early childhood, but more so uh, how he grew up and how the experiences shaped him growing up about both of his parents being in a completely embattled and loveless marriage and the impact that that had that that had on him mm-hmm. one of my favorite elton john songs was i want love um i think that was the music video that had robert downey jr in it if i'm not mistaken yeah. um when that song came out <coughs> and that was actually one of my favorite um sequences in the film was when they used that song so perfectly to, you know, illustrate how exactly every, everyone in that household was lacking the thing they wanted most. And that was love in their own way. Alton wanted to be loved by his father. He wasn't. Um, the father wanted to have, you know, a wife that loved him or, and into love. And he hadn't. And the same thing for the wife. And they all were kind of in this really horrible situation where they all just wanted to be loved and they couldn't. You know, you know, and all of them singing on to this wonderful, wonderful song. Um, and I think that was the moment that I realized that, oh, okay. They're actually giving a shit here. They're going to be using the songs from this man's entire career. And I even noticed, because I know the song so well, they switched out certain lyrics here and there. But they're going to be using his songs to really tell you the story. Um, and I think that was the makings for what ended up being a truly great movie. Uh-huh. Um, and then we go from there and we finally get introduced into Taryn in the middle of the Saturday night's All Right for Fighting sequence. Um, and almost immediately, it's like, wow, it's, it's, again, like we've talked about, you know, some of the best biopics. You have performances that Bowie the entire, not, no pun intended, that Bowie the entire film, um, and make you think, wow. This is like what Alton would have been at that point, or this is what Abraham Lincoln would have been like if I had a conversation with him back in that timeline. It's like those are the kind of that's I think the best. Well, all thing you about have to do is just is phone call Daniel Day Lewis and call it a day. Well, exactly, exactly. But that's what I think the best thing about biopics give us is like uh an idea of what those people were like at that point. Mm-hmm. And also what this what this movie does so well is it's because the the, the central focus of this story is how Elton, you know, rises to, to stardom and then kind of falls because of the addictions and of, you know, drug abuse that he's, that he has, which is how the movie opens. And like, yeah, I mean, he opens with him getting into rehab and everything. And then My name is Elton John and I'm an alcoholic. That's the first line in the movie. And, it, and a sex addict and, and, and so much so in all of that. Also, stuff. so that's also, uh, you're a fellow Hoovian. Did you catch? I know. We saw Grace. Yeah. Yes. Grace was there. I was like, oh, it's Grace. So that's yeah. what she was doing yeah. before she got entangled in everything. So Entangled and then, you know, killed. Um, so oh that's God. kind of what the movie is about. But what I, what I, and, and, and it does what recent biopics have done, um, which is we are focusing on a certain amount of years. Not the entire history of their lives, because then it feels too much like a documentary and like it just, okay, is this even a movie? We're focusing on a certain amount of years of their life, not their entire career. This is like basically the first half of Alton's career mm-hmm. that this movie is focused on and, you know, the abuse uh, and, and the addictions that he had. 
And that's the complete story here. And that alone tells us who this man is. Whereas having to spend so much useless time on like telling the whole story, if this was telling his whole story, then those first like 20, 30 minutes would have been condensed into five tops. You know, right. that's how it would have looked like. So I'm very happy. I'm very happy that these biopics are now more so leaning into telling more so of a narrative than just like doing a whole documentary like, oh, this is what he did here and this is where he was and this is where he was born and then this is when the first time he sang that. It's also a lot of the stuff in terms of like when these songs, how they use these songs are like, I know when when the first time that uh, Elton and Bernie went to go, um, you know, perform it for the first, uh, I, I'm not, I think, I'm not remembering the name of the, of the, uh, of the of the first producer that they that they met with but correct me if i'm wrong wasn't that actor the guy that played scrum in the pirates of the caribbean films the first recording producer with the glasses and everything no like steven Mc... are you sure it wasn't okay and it wasn't that then um but you know who i'm referring to in the mm-hmm. movie when they go and playing these songs like he plays uh sad songs and i guess that's why they call it the blues of course i'm not i don't think those songs were written no. at that point no, but not. yeah Obviously, obviously, but um, but, but it was nice to hear. I guess that's why they call yes. it the blues and the right, the right. Because I looked on the <laughs> I looked on the soundtrack. I'm like, this is it gonna be out there? No, okay, I guess. Um, great soundtrack, by the way. Great soundtrack. But anyway, yeah. Uh, I was like, when I heard it, I was like, takes me fucking back. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so yeah. Um, Nice, nice, obviously nice touches there. And then again, like, okay, look, this is, um, the part of the review, um, where that I wanted to say this. The first, like, 20, 30 minutes does so much work. And you can't help but think, uh, and appreciate the level of care and appreciation it took on the behalf of the filmmakers and the producers to really craft it and spend so much time here. And it's really here where you, it's not like done just to do it. You know, it's done to serve, you know, Elton John and and for you to get a footing on who he is, which by the way, and this is where kind of like, it goes back to the Bohemian Rhapsody. That movie completely dodged uh, that era of, of, uh, Freddie Mercury's life. Like the movie just opens with him already liking music. And my <laughs> problem, my problem oh, with on. that movie. Sorry, overall, sorry, I'm coughing a lot, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm getting over a flu. So I just want you to put that on the thing. But anyway, continue. My problem with that movie was that the entire time I only felt like I kind of got Freddie Mercury. Not so much so that I knew him. And in so many ways, it's because I think the most interesting parts about him were unfortunately completely omitted from the film. Yeah, I think, I guess it showed that he was gay. But aside from maybe one moment, I guess, and it's not really even said, it's just kind of like shown a little bit. I understand where a lot of people got turned off from that movie because of how it seemed to just avoid any discussion about his sexuality and how that played into his identity. And why I bring he that up is died because of that. Yes. 
And I think that this is where it's like they took the fatal mistake with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. I, I love the film. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Um, but this is my glaring issue with the movie is that he fucking died. Unfortunately, because of the promiscuous sex that he had. Um, and I think that you could have definitely shown that bit of that downhill spiral that he eventually got himself into trying to fill that void of not feeling love from anything or, you know, acceptance or anything for who he really was. Um, at where in contrast with Rocket Man, you could feel that he woke up and he was like, where am I? When he, yeah. he woke up and said, where am I? And then some, some, uh, some, uh, I guess prostitute or something like that. I don't know. Uh, said you're at home or something like that. And then I was like, you know, that, that's tragic. You don't even know your fucking home. Um, and I think that, you know, you should have shown the more tragedy of, uh, Freddie Mercury with, uh, with Bohemian Rhapsody because, let's face it movies are a lot of uh show don't tell and uh that's what i think grounds a a movie is that you're showing what happens instead of telling you if you wanted if i wanted somebody to tell me about what happens in the movie about a about a certain character's life i would go and like look it up on wikipedia or do or watch a documentary or something like that um so I think that what, uh, where Bohemian faltered, Rocket Man, uh, excelled at in terms of telling that kind of aspect of the story and like how they really got down the character of who, uh, Elton John is. Also, it had the benefit of being an R-rated film. Yeah, but the reason why Bohemian Rhapsody was not an R-rated film was because of Queen. And because they wanted to make as much money as possible, not because they were really interested in making a great film, which is why it's not. And this is where it kind of aggravates them, because what you just said is not just about showing the effect of, you know, what they had to live with. It's about goddamn identity. I think that's what people are missing here. And this is what I was going to what I was going to draw the correlation between it because his sexuality, Freddie Mercury's sexuality was not really at all a factor in Bohemian Rhapsody. I failed to have a sense of his identity and how he sees himself because that's a big part of who you are and that's just completely left out. On the flip side, when you see from Rocket Man, you, it, it's not only like addressed, it's it's a, as big a part of the movie as everything else because He's his sexuality. Doing the dirty with Richard Madden. <laughs> well, it's not just that, but it's also the sexuality. His sexuality is also something that, um, you know, plagues him early on because he feels very conflicted. He knows that he's gay, but he also doesn't want to, uh, at first embrace that lifestyle because his mom constantly tells him there was this conversation where like he, you know, he calls his mom angrily. He says, Hey, uh, your son's gay. And then his mom was like, I've known that, but I just hope you know, you'll never be loved. And like that hung over him so much so for so many years also, after a little, that he a little tipping point. The first man he ever loved turned him down like that in the film. 
that, that yeah, literally like that. that. Literally that. And then also like it, it's that's even brought to the next level because um, later on in the movie, he throws himself into some sham of a marriage. Yeah. So it's like and then obviously that all leads to later on in the movie where finally like Elton's at a breaking point with his mother and they kind of just like, you know, say fuck you to each other basically at that point in the dinner scene. Um, and that's where kind of, and you see, that's what I wanted to see out of Bohemian Rhapsody because in Rocket Man, you see how much it is a part of Elton, but how much it has weighed on his conscience all of these years that not only has his mom just kind of like pushed him away all these years, but it's because of who he is. You know, that that's also why she's pushed him away in that sense. And all of this goes back to why he took drugs in the first place and why he became such an addict. All of this stuff, even though it's not so much as addressed, even though I think it, the film kind of treats it as if Richard Madden kind of introduced these things to Elton, it also became a vehicle for Elton to use to not feel, you know, these mm-hmm. things. And it's like, it's kind of like, Avoiding the issue while fixing the issue as well. When you're when he's trying to fill the void, I think that's where it it really like shows uh, the tragic character that is Elton John. Um, and I think this movie really uh, really explored that, and I think that we needed that because. Freddie's favorite song is uh, somebody to love. And I think that you could have really excelled that message that he was trying to find that somebody to love. And you could have explored it like of all the movies to explore that aspect. It should have been queen. Um, Okay. Let me ask you this question, Kyle, right now. Um, Why do you love Bohemian Rhapsody as a film? I think, Rami Malek did a superb job as Freddy. I think the band was well cast. Um, I think what they, what they got right. I think it, as a streamlined biopic, I think it works. Um, but as I said, streamlined, like it's a streamlined, uh, uh, biopic. Um, also what they did to recreate some of the uh, key moments of their careers uh, was really well done and paid homage to moments in their careers. Um, other than that, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It, it's just, you know, for me, um, I don't hate the movie and I agree with you. It is a streamlined biopic and I enjoyed watching the movie, but I think that's kind of like where I kind of struggle to call it a movie because, and here's the thing. I really just, for me, really feel like at the end of the day, people were just so swayed by those last like 15 minutes, that booming, just like grand, like uh, live aid performance. And of course, all the other songs that really at the end of the day, it was exactly the kind of movie that Queen uh, had intended it to be just a vehicle to make more money because it, it it's just kind of like a concert film. I love those performances too in the movie because they were great. But aside from that, what it lacked is exactly what Rocket Man gave me. It gave me a story. It gave me a group of characters and not only that I felt invested in, but I grew that I, I, I watched grow. 
So, uh, and I think that matters a lot, you know, for your movie. So at the end of the day, it, you know, we, we talk about it so many times on this show, you know, well, I mean, that's just how, you know, general audiences are. I mean, it is, you know, Rocket Man is rated R and Bohemian Rhapsody was rated PG-13. Obviously, PG-13 movies make more money than rated R movies because they're more accessible to it. But it really is a shame that to me, not only will I think more people uh, will not have seen this as compared to Bohemian Rhapsody, but what I almost, what I'm almost sure is going to happen is, whereas I think Taron Edgerton should definitely be considered for a best actor nomination for his performance as Elton John, um, he won't probably be nominated. And in the case of Rami Malek, he won where I've, I honestly think, and, and you know what, Kyle, this is where you and I disagree entirely. I think Rami Malek's performance was not at all deserving to be in the discussion for an Academy Award, much less win. And I'm sorry if people out there just don't care if whether or not they're lip syncing, but it matters to me. It really matters to me whether or not, because to me, it's like the, because he was lip syncing the songs. And yes, you could say that a little bit of his voice was like blended in with Freddie Mercury. It, it's not the same as when you have here Taryn actually singing these songs and actually evoking the spirit of Elton John at that time that I really feel <coughs> makes for a more authentic performance overall. So whereas very much one of these I felt deserved to be nominated and the other did not deserve at all to win. Like Jamie, like Jamie Foxx and Kristen Stewart and, uh, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix before them, before him. They didn't win? No, like in terms of like Taron Edgerton, like actually singing the, singing the song. Yeah. Uh, Kristen Stewart. I just think, uh, yeah. Uh, Jamie Foxx and Joaquin Phoenix actually sang the the songs that were in the movie yeah so um yeah that that that's kind of the story here that bums me out about all of this in general is that um although i will say rocket man is doing very well for an r-rated film it, it is making money and it is going to be very profitable and um it's still standing I, I, it's still standing and it, um, critics are loving it enough to where it, it, it might still be in the conversation. I have to ask you though, why do you think this was released in May or at the end of May or beginning of June? Was it because of Pride Month or do you think it was? You know what? I never put that together, but that could be very much it. That was the only thing that I could come as to like why they would release it right now. And I think it might be. Cause that's that. very interesting. Like one of the biggest queer icons, Elton John, yeah. has a biopic that comes out in the cusp of Pride Month. You know what? That's why it was released. I mean, we can't really report that. I mean, that's what I, I suspect anyway, because I can't think of anything else as to why it would be. Because if a movie like this is very typical for an October release where Oscar season Starts, really begins, yeah. you know. That's very interesting. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe they were right to do it because Slap me maybe it might have. Hand me to my mama. Maybe it might have less even. It, maybe it might have made less money because, as we've been seeing, October aside, well, we never know. You never know. Uh, Star is Born was did very, very, did very well instead of Bohemian Rhapsody, but some films don't do as well anymore. So, um. That's just kind of where I, 
where I'm at during all of this. But, you know, walking away, again, I want to say I love the film. I thought it was incredible performances all around. Beautiful, beautiful music. I think a story people need to see. Also great. Definitely. Like, if you want to talk about recreation, I love how, like, beat for beat, they recreated the music video for I'm Still Standing. Right? (laughs) That was great. It was a wonderful way to end the movie. Because I've seen the music video uh, before. But then I was like, how much of it is identical? And I went back, like, I, I, I sat in my car, you know, on my phone, watching the music video with the with the imagery fresh in the mind. And my God, like, it's some of, like, the most, like, like intricately done, like, faithful adaptations of a music video ever. Um, and I, I, I like that. I like, I like that. Also, I'm still standing, like, played a part of the movie too <laughs> like yeah because he's like, a big part of it it was like the finale he's still standing you know he's still standing after mm-hmm. all that stuff that he that he went through also he like he walked out with like a hat and a cane out of the rehab center and right to freaking beach loved it <laughs> um yeah the pinball wizard scene i really love the way like is circled around the piano and like you could see like the different costumes of his career. Like you could see like where he was in, in that time. Um, the, tr- the scene at the troubadour was great when he did crocodile rock. I mean, just, just, just there's like so many, like there, there's so many things to make a, to make a Elton John fan happy, you know? And I think that this is absolutely, this is a, this is a really good, uh, really good film. Strongly recommend it. Go see Rocket Man and Happy Pride. Uh, Happy Pride Month. Uh, we should probably, I think, I'm not sure if we mentioned it in other shows, but there we go. All right. So um, before we close today, um, that ain't the only movie Kyle saw. Kyle, what did you go see? Blah, 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 blah. I saw Godzilla King of the Monsters and my God, my face is fucking melted. It's still melted. I feel third degree burns. It, it, it like it hurts so good. I, I like I, I love this movie so much. Like I, I've seen fairly enough uh, classic Godzilla movies and uh, and like was delved into the lore. My brothers more so than me. Uh, they're they're huge into like the whole uh, Godzilla thing. And me being a bystander of all that stuff, like I've I've developed like a huge fanship for Godzilla. Um, and it uh, like everything that was missing from the 2014 uh, uh, film, I got and then some. And, uh, in this, uh, in this film, first of all, you have the big four of the kaijus in the, in the film. You have Mothra, King Adora, Rodan, and then you have Godzilla himself. And put those four in a fucking film, have them go at it, have like intricate stuff, bring back Akira, uh, 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 I think that's how you say his last name, um, score in there. And throw in uh, some good characters. I really like the characters in the movie. Uh, Vera Farmiga was great. Uh, Kyle Chandler was great. Um, Bradley Walsh was great in the movie. Millie Bobby Brown was very Millie Bobby Brown. Um, can't go wrong with that. Um, 
Ken Watanabe. Okay, there was a scene. Are you going to see the movie or no? No. Okay. All right. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna delve head into spoilers. I I love the film. All right. Spoilers. My God. Like Rocket Man and uh, what's it called? Uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Guess which one I cried to. Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yes. There's one scene when Ken Watanabe's character uh, went up to Godzilla. Like, cause he was down for the count. He, he was pretty much dying and he was like pretty much in his hiding spot where a bunch of radiation emits. And that's what, you know, fuels him. That's what, you know, gives him his energy. Anyway, there was a, there was a scene when he, where he's going to nuke Godzilla to bring him back to his full potential. And he like, you know how, like in how to train your dragon, remember when Hiccup touched a uh, toothless, on the on the nose for the first time it was kind of like that moment and he was like goodbye old friend and ken watanabe touched uh godzilla's nose and it was just like oh it's so beautiful and like the symphonic score that bear mccreary did like it's such a good score um and he sacrificed himself and like it blew up and everything like that brilliant brilliant shit um I like the, I like, Vera Famiga was pretty much kind of like Thanos in this movie. She was like, you know, in order to save Earth, we need to destroy it first, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and that's not it. Charles Dance was very Charles Dance in the movie. Uh, Sally Hawkins, may her character rest in peace in the movie. Um, she was in it. That was great. Uh, what else? Oh, the first scene when you saw Godzilla in his full glory was when King Adora was just woken up from the ice. Like he was trapped in ice and everything like that. King Adora freshly woken up, uh, was going to kill our, uh, our heroes in the monarch ship. But then all of a sudden, uh, Godzilla, you, you heard the sound of the atomic, uh, stuff going up his scales. You heard wah, 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 wah. And then, uh, the music started playing the classic, classic score that's been played since the fifties. A brilliant use of your theme came out of the ice, came out of the woodwork. Brilliant, brilliant shit. Uh, he, uh, I think like they updated the sound effects for Godzilla's roar and everything like that. And it sounds amazing. Also, little fun fact. Um, uh, there was like a little hiccup before the movie started, um, where the projector system went out. Um, really? Yeah. And so I was like, Oh shit. Okay. I, what, what do I, what do I do? I've never been in this situation before. Um, but we got into, uh, we got into the thing. They reset the speaker system and they reset the movie, which made the movie louder because it's like at full volume and it was like blasting in my face. And I loved it. I loved every bit. Uh, when King Adora and Godzilla in the climax went against each other, there are some people in the audience who stood up and applauded. And I. <laughs> Were you one of them? Uh, no, no, I was very reserved. <laughs> but like, it was kind of like this movie was like the cinematic equal uh, equivalent of a WWE match. You know, uh, when Godzilla <laughs> would step up, it will be like John Cena stepping up to da, 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 and it's just like mind melting. This 
Godzilla fan is utterly happy. I'm glad I don't have to wait four to five fucking years for the next one because Godzilla versus Kong, baby. But it might be the last one, wah, though. Wah, wah, wah. I love that. I hope it's not the last one because there's something that happens at the end credits where it turns mm-hmm. out King Adora is still alive. Or there's a way for King Adora could be that uh, they could be alive. So I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping to God they they do that. Also, let's talk about the queen of the monsters herself, Mothra. Um, first of all, I like the little nod to her uh, to her mythos in the movie because there were uh, uh, following Mothra. There it, there's these cosmic entities uh, that the fans called the fairies. Um, and they look like fairies and they're twins and, uh, and they, they, they say, uh, words of wisdom, what she's feeling. She's, they're, they're pretty much like the id, ego, and super ego within Mothra's head. Anyway, uh, I think they got the original actresses who played the cosmic entities and, uh, was a character's, uh, grandmother, grandmother's. And the in the uh, in that, so I really like that. Um, Mothra is amazing. Also, apparently, Mothra and Godzilla are fucking. What Godzilla and <laughs> Godzilla and Mothra are fucking? Like it's implied that they're that they're romantically connected with each other. So hashtag Gothra, I ship that shit. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Uh, like, there's just so many little Easter eggs, so many good things. Uh, tie, there's some stuff tied in with uh, Kong Skull Island, obviously. Uh, it looks like that's where all the monsters are headed. So that's, that's like obviously opening up doors where, uh, Kong versus Zilla, um, which that's going to be very fucking interesting. I wonder, I wonder who's going to win. Cause in the original Kong versus Zilla, uh, King Kong won. So I want to know mm. how they, how they do that. But freaking Godzilla could melt buildings with his skin. Yeah. If you ask me as somebody that doesn't really, watch these movies it doesn't it's it seems like batman v superman like you know which one would win in a heartbeat you know right yeah but like i don't know but you don't really know because godzilla melted built i'm gonna repeat myself he but yeah king so king kong wouldn't stand a chance right yeah but yet godzilla like king kong stood a bunch of shit like he he stood against an explosion from samuel L. jackson a huge nuclear explosion so i don't fucking know what's going on about that but anyway um god my god zilla <laughs> um there there was one there was a scene where it looked like all hope was lost got uh king adora lifted godzilla and you never see that. You never see another villain take on Godzilla in this. Bring Godzilla up to the sky and just drop him the fuck to the ground. I w- Damn. I was like, shit, dude. 
shit. Also, King Ghidorah is known for, you know, Godzilla is known for the atomic breath. Uh, King Ghidorah is known for being like the conjurer of electricity and lightning and all that shit. There's one scene where it was nothing but dust clouds and all that shit. And all you could see was King Ghidorah sparking his way. It was amazing. Also, I like, uh, I like the American version of King Ghidorah better than the Japanese version. Here's why. Because the three heads all have different personalities. They do. They have different personalities, yeah. Cause like the Japanese, they're all working in sync with the, with one another, but you could see one's a little bit more bashful, one's a little bit more abrasive, and one's more neutral in, in the three heads. Um, so I like that kind of aspect that they put with that. Anyway, you know, I love myself some wide shot porn. Um, I, um, I, here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean. I'm going to explain. Remember that shot okay. in the last Jedi. This is my favorite shot in the last Jedi where, uh, where Luke is facing down the first order. And there's that wide shot of him looking at all of the, all of the ships, all of the vehicles mm-hmm. that the first order has. Remember that shot? Yeah. And it's just silhouettes mm-hmm. of everything. That's one of my favorite shots ever. I love the landscape shot of, uh, Steve Rogers alone on the hill against Thanos and Endgame. I just love, I just love all of these, uh, wide shots, you know, and it, this movie fucking delivered on a bunch of that shit. So, well, it had to, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, cause you got to get all the monsters in frame. <laughs> um, and I think, like, God damn, this movie. The, this kaiju, this kaiju fan loved it. I loved, I loved all this stuff. It, well, look, here's, here's the sad part in all of this is that you and Peter both loved it. You and Peter are both fans of like kaiju films. And it seems like hardcore Godzilla fans, like they seem to have loved it, you know? And I think the sad thing is, I mean, the, the good news is that Godzilla versus Kong is already shot and that's going to be released no matter what. But the performance that Godzilla King of the Monsters did, if that movie wasn't shot, Kong versus Godzilla, whatever you're gonna call it, I think it would probably be canceled pretty soon. Um, I, I, and, and that's why, and here's the thing, it's, and I, this should be a signature franchise for Warner Brothers coming off, you know, Godzilla 2014. And uh, um, here's the thing. Uh, Kong Skull Island and Godzilla. You said Godzilla 2014. That's five years ago. It's five years ago. Yes. And I think <clears> most <throat> people actually, I think most people are not even aware that Kong Skull Island is even in the same universe as those other Godzilla movies that have come out this year and then 2014. So if you ask me, I think the numbers indicate that Godzilla versus Kong is going to be it, unfortunately. And it sucks because. This seems to be one of the rare franchise cinematic universe things that's actually pretty great it, so far. Dude, like it <laughs> delivers on all the kaiju bullshit. It's amazing. Also have a little bit of uh of uh, emotional connection because the the fam the key family in the movie played by uh Kyle Chandler, uh uh Vera Farmiga and Millie Vera Farmiga B- and Millie Bobby Brown. The key family uh, aspect um, they're reeling off the, the catastrophic events of what happened in the first movie in San Francisco. 
Um, mm-hmm. And they're reeling from that. Um, and you could get some like emotion of like loss and, and all that stuff. Cause they lost a kid. They lost a kid in the, in the, in the events of the first movie. So, uh, I think this movie has a lot to offer. It, 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 it does. And it's pure cinematic bliss. The whole, it was a packed house when I went to go see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. That must have been fun. It was fun. Uh, I heard one, uh, I heard one, like, well, I heard one guy say, oh, damn, <laughs> in, the, in the corner of one scene. Uh, so it was just like, it was a good, fun popcorn film. And I just, I, I loved it. I loved it a lot. I, I, I couldn't help. Like, uh, some people said it was like boring. I'm like, <laughs> What? What movie were you what watching? What movie were That's you watching? <laughs> like, and if so, bring bring over a copy. I need to sleep somehow. Um, soothe the insomnia. Uh, but anyway, I I, I just uh, I absolutely loved Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I I wish. I hoping. I'm praying to God, like how you were begging. For more seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm going to be this fucking way with Godzilla. I hope that despite all the odds, I hope it succeeds and there's a third Godzilla in the works. If the third Godzilla is all there is, then fine. I just want my Kaiju American trilogy. Um, plus a little bit of extras on the side with, uh, with Kong Skull Island. Which is, which is a good movie. I really liked Kong Skull Island. Um, and the, and, uh, Kong versus Godzilla. If those movies are it, I'm hoping that's like, you know, I, I hope I get to have that because it's so fucking good. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I hope, but that the greater powers above me are listening and, I hope that there's a there's a third one on the way because like King Adora, if you bring back King Adora, King Adora is gonna be fucking pissed. He's gonna be going off with a vengeance. He's gonna fire he's gonna throw everything with fire and fury. And I am like my face I can't feel it because my there is no face. Godzilla King of the Monsters cleaned it off. And I guarantee you this. It's early in the game, but I guarantee you this. Godzilla King of the Monsters is going to wind up on my top five of 2019. Mark my words. I, I've, uh, the, the experience was so enriching, so enlightened. Everything that I wanted to happen in Godzilla, the first one, didn't happen happened right here and I, I, I i'm a man of simple taste i want my monster films and this is they gave me a good monster film with good story good monster fights boom the whole nine yards where's my paycheck legendary <laughs> no yeah, i'm just kidding. really i'm just um. kidding I'll, I'll i'll pay you guys because you guys you guys were amazing well, hopefully they make more. Um, here's the thing. Are you finished? Yeah. 
Okay, so we actually have, before we close today, we have some breaking news. Um, <laughs> Warner Brothers just dropped uh, the announcement of their brand new streaming service, uh, Warner Media, or I should say Warner Media's new streaming service. It just announced um, the price uh, for their new streaming service, and that price is $16 a month. Which is on the higher end of the spectrum for the other streaming services. But, to be fair, you look at the rich history of Warner Brothers films and content. Okay, let's just be real, Kyle. Nobody gives a shit about the history of film, obviously. Clearly, except you and me. What people are going to get this for are for Harry Potter and if people still care about that. And then also um, Game of Thrones, because obviously with the, with the whole Warner media thing, they now have HBO and Game of Thrones and HBO content is going to be included in your subscription for Warner media, which if you already have an online subscription to HBO now, that's already 1499. And that's going to be brought into uh, Warner media's streaming platform for $16. So it may or may not be worth it. If you already have HBO so- or not, You'll so. be getting two for the price of one. It may look that way, yes. And then also all the other history of Warner Brothers stuff like with Looney Wizard Tunes of Oz. And, is, yes. No, wait. Wizard of Oz is MGM. Never mind. It is? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, Casablanca. Mm hmm. Citizen Kane. Yeah. If they're going to even include that on there, which. Who even knows? I mean, they should, right? Just put all their properties there. But if they don't, well, Louis, I guess there's This that. is the beginning of a wonderful friendship. <laughs> so, and, and the reason why I bring that up right now is because we just talked about, not only on this show briefly, but on the last show, about how Warner Brothers is big hitters. You know, they had a lot of, you know, big movies this year that just underperformed and there were all franchises Lego the Lego movie 2 Pokemon Detective Pikachu Godzilla King of the Monsters Shazam all of those movies that we've we've been discussing should have been huge hits and yet even um what's it called Fantastic Beasts 2 underperformed uh compared to the first one so like Warner Brothers has now filled with all of these franchises that are kind of like seemingly on the downturn and now here they have a streaming platform for $16 a month compared compared to Disney's uh which is priced at 6.99 for the first year price range Disney plus sounds a little bit better oh um, yeah it, okay, is the DC uh, film catalog going to be in uh, in uh, the Warner Brothers streaming service? One would assume. One would assume. Uh, I, I don't know what is happening with DC streaming for uh, streaming uh, service. DC Universe has been up and running, and as far as I'm aware, DC Universe has their own. They have some libraries, but they don't have. There are some things that they don't have for some mundane reasons that I can't even think of right now. But the, the fact is, it's amazing to me that there exists a DC streaming service and it still has a lot of DC stuff that's just not on there. And my guess would be then that it'll probably appear on the Warner Media streaming service. So then why the fuck would you get DC Universe if it isn't going to have everything that's already DC? So, and, and the, the CWDC shows are not on that service because 
the CW owns those shows and they can't be on there. It's, it's just weird. It's not going to be on DC Universe. And I, at this point, I'm wondering how long it lasts. Because with Warner Media, it, it might, who knows? It might just be absorbed into Warner Media. So that'll be three yeah. for the price of one. Technically speaking, yeah, if you're already paying for it, yeah. And will the Warner Brothers uh, streaming service include all of the television properties? One would assume, although nothing has been confirmed just yet. We know that they're going to be focusing on like, you know, their big tent poles and like making new original programming, which is like the Netflix model, you know, that they started. Mm-hmm. So in that way, when you mentioned like Casablanca or Citizen Kane, I mean, one would think, one would assume if you have that library, why not include it in, the, in there? But um, <laughs> I mean, they have enough of a library to have their own kind of like Criterion-esque like um, side to their their media platform so all the all the movie studios to have a deep hollywood rooted history there's only one and that's warner brothers you know so i i I think that would be a shame if those historical films weren't included into the well let me see let me ask you this thing does it, does it look as if disney gives a shit about all oh, the fuck. old no. properties that they well let me uh, I, i'm asking you do you does it does it look that like disney gives a shit about the fox movies they've acquired the old fox movies like the ancient movies because at this point all anybody can point to is maybe they'll put it on hulu and that's that which means it's not going to no, be they, capitalized the, on the first and primary uh thing that they want to focus on is obviously the uh the disney library yeah and marvel and star wars obviously yeah but yeah we'll see we'll see what what uh what shakes the juice yeah and they confirm that it's going to be launching in early 2020 which is a few months after disney plus launches um, that's also coming up pretty soon. Man, this might be a big year for Disney after all. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you fuck. sunk my battleship. Okay. Well, if there's nothing else to add, I want to thank everyone for listening to this show as you have for all the other shows. I want to thank Kyle for being on this and watching these movies. I'm very grateful that, um, you know, in the time that I'm kind of a little bit busy right now with, uh, certain things, um, which I will have an announcement, I think, pretty soon about that. Um, I haven't been as fortunate. I, I mean, I, I was happy that I made time to go see Rocketman, but I had to see announcement what I think it is. Yes, it okay. is. It is. But, but I'll tell you about that after. Um, if I were back home with you, I, I probably would have been, you know what, Kyle, let's go see Pikachu. Let's go see Godzilla. Let's go see all of them. I haven't had the time to do all that. Um, and Lord knows my wallet is still hurting from Endgame. So there's that right now. How many now. times did you wind um, up fucking seeing that film? At least five. And then at plus, like you got to... Merchandise. Merchandise concessions. <laughs> yeah. Um, I bought three popcorn buckets. Yeah. Um, it got, I, I may have gotten a little bit out of control when it came to spending on that movie. Um, and that's not even including, you know, the pre-order for the Blu-ray. So that's, that's a different thing, which is like 50 bucks in and of itself. Anyway, um, 
So I haven't had the chance to do that, as I've been saying, and I've been thankful for Kyle for seeing the movies that he has, and obviously Peter and David for going out of their way and seeing the different kinds of movies. I know that on an upcoming show, I will be reviewing, well, I will be hosting a show, and then David will be reviewing uh, Brightburn and Booksmart, two other films that have been getting a lot of attention also. So I'm very happy and grateful that all of you guys have been, you know, you know, going out and seeing these movies, and we've been able to report and, and review them on this show uh, so I'm very happy about that, and thank you all to that, uh, and thank you all for that. And uh, I also want to remind everyone that you can listen to us right here under the spotlight on everywhere you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Music, and or on our new home on Wooshka every single Sunday when we drop podcasts, and every now and then on Thursdays when I feel like, hey, here's a podcast. Why? Because we just love you that much. And that's not really an answer. I just don't want to wait for Sunday. That's the truth. <sighs> Until then, uh, thank you, everyone. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>